0: God, praise God. First John three sixteen. Let's get right into this. Guy asked me one day in Arkansas, said you lived around here all your life, and I said, Not yet. Hallelujah. success with it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. When I was in school, I was always in trouble for being a smart here. It's a miracle. It's a miracle what God done in your life. And the miracle is you're still flying. Hallelujah. You're still hanging in there. Praise God. Perceive we the love of God? Now, how do we perceive His love? Hereby perceive we the love of God. We perceive it because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And not to glorify sin, or not to think for you to think I was anything because I was ignorant. I want to tell you what God done in my life, my life story, Charles. May. You may be seated. God bless you all. Hallelujah. 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 When you realize what he done on that cross, it releases us to become what God intended us to be. I wasn't born to be a drug addict. I wasn't born to be a loser. Come on. I wasn't born to worship the devil. I wasn't born to. Almost said raise hell. Hallelujah. I wasn't born to live like that. God fashioned me. God fashioned me. Life has chiseled us into mere fragments of what God meant for us to be. But his power isn't intimidated by our circumstances. He can walk right into the middle of any circumstance and lift you up and give you a brand new life story. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was a woman, a lady of the night, that was washing Jesus' feet. And he was at Simon's house. And they began to question among each other. If he was really a prophet, he didn't know what kind of woman this was, washing his feet. And he asked Simon a question. He said, one person owed a lot, and another owed a little bit. And the Lord forgive all of it. Which one loved the most? And Simon looked around and said, the one that's forgiven most. Hallelujah. I made a vow to God January the 16th, 1966. If he would change my life and keep my family together, hallelujah, and deliver me from alcohol and drugs and hate and fear and bondage. I would live for him. There's been times I had to shout it every night. There's been times I've been through the desert places. But I remember a vow I made to him at an old-fashioned altar, and I'm going to keep that vow to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every family since Adam is a dysfunctional family. Fast as just a television show they had in the fifties. Opie don't really exist. Barney does. He stopped us the other day on the highway. Hallelujah. But every family is dysfunctional. There's things wrong. But there's there was things in my family that not only made my my parents were dysfunctional, but it bled over into us kids. There's a term now that sociologists and psychologists use. It's called toxic parents. They put their poison into their children. My father was bigoted and prejudiced, and he put that in me. My father hated people. He was bitter than me, and he put that in me. My earliest memory is seeing my dad cut my mother's throat with his knife. The only time I ever heard Jesus' name mentioned in my home was when somebody was cussing. Everybody in my family drank and cussed and fought. I remember my dad would sit me up on, stand me up on a bar in a nightclub and I'd entertain the whole nightclub by telling little jokes and little dirty songs and stuff like that. They was putting that life into my life. My father was bitter because of the way he was raised. And his father was bitter because of the way he was raised. My great-great-great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My great-great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. And now I'm a spiritual-holic. Hallelujah. Come on. I don't go down to the get them browns. I go to Joel's place and get me a drink from the fountain of revival. I lived in a neighborhood where the cops would come into our town, or our side of town after dark. And uh, they called it Little Italy because the streets would flood and it looked like Venice, you know, where you go on those gondolas. And, and my sister and I came in one night and we could hear uh, music playing and we couldn't get in the front door. We had, we called our front porch the stoop. And uh, 28 families lived in one house. Big house. Hallelujah. And we couldn't get the front door open. My dad was passed out in front of the door. And my sister and I went around to the alley. And as we went around to the alley, we heard some music coming up the street. And I said, Nancy, it must be a carnival or something. Let's go check that out. Seven and a half years old. And we walked down the alley there in that neighborhood. And there was a little building. And they didn't have any windows in the building. It was summertime. And they was clapping their hands and shouting and worshiping God. And I saw my first Pentecostal service. I jumped up there and grabbed a hold of that windowsill and pulled myself up and they were shouting and dancing and worshiping God. And about that time somebody grabbed me by the arm and you didn't grab me by the arm. I kicked him and and talked about him and his mama and uh, he said, I want to invite you out to Sunday school. I said, I don't want to go to Sunday school. He said, we're giving away popsicles. I said, I'll be there. My first Sunday in a Sunday school, I zapped a cute little blonde with a spit wad. I got in a fight with another boy because he made fun of my clothes were ragged. They were clean. Mama said, we may be poor, but we're not filthy. And I whipped him. The teacher got me in a headlock. He said, you're going to come to a crossroads in your life, boy, someday, and you're going to have to make a decision. It'll probably be on death row just before they scrap you in the electric chair. But you remember this, Jesus Christ died for you because he loved you. And I said, he doesn't love me. He said, if you had been the only boy alive, he would have still came and died for you on that cross. I went home and my dad had got up and was in the kitchen making some coffee and had the radio on, listening to one of those redneck uh, Buck Haggard or somebody, your cold cheek heart. And... uh, I never slept in a bed until I got old enough to go to reform school. I, I, I slept on the couch and I laid there on the couch and I pulled an army blanket up over my head and I saw a vision. I saw the most beautiful road leading up out of that filthy apartment and I saw that road make a Y and I saw my family going down to a burning pit. And I saw me make a decision and turn and headed towards a beautiful city. God showed me as a little boy. And God told me back there laying on that couch in the ghetto, someday you're going to carry this gospel to your generation. I was in prison twice. I was in jail over 40 times. I was a Satan worshiper. But one day a preacher came and preached to me and God brought that back to me. Through the bitterness, through the hurt, I remember some years in school, we'd go to eight, ten, twelve 12 different schools a year. We, My father was an itinerant. When the cops would get after him in one place, he'd go to another place. And the best advice my father ever gave me, he said, never get in a hurry, boy, until the cops are coming up the back steps." That's the advice my father gave And we were all in the back of this old truck, and, and we had a green tarpaulin on it. And the... They tied my leg to the truck so if I'd fall off, they'd have me when they got to where they was going. <laughs> and we pulled up in this little old town, I'll never forget the name of the town, Fort Scott, Kansas. It was so big when you when you went in, you say, There it is, when you left you say, There it went, man. And during the night. They had a, a, a green canvas tarpaulin over, it, and during the night it had rained, and all that rain had seeped down through that canvas and dyed every one of us kids green. Hallelujah! And we come off that truck, man, looked like something from outer space. And I was in there watching the man. He was my dad was getting gas, and he was getting some bologna, and the uh, soda crackers we was getting dinner and eating uh, in the truck. Hallelujah. And I was watching the man so I could get me a candy bar with a five finger discount. And while I was standing there watching that, I looked up and that truck was leaving. There I stood, it's the boy. And that tr- I said, "Hey!" And they left. And that was the loneliest feeling I've ever had in my life. Boy, I didn't even know where I was at then, watching that truck leave. Dad would get drunk together. I'm talking about getting drunk with your dad, eight, nine years old. By the time I was 15, if I didn't have a drink in the morning, my hands shook till I couldn't even light a cigarette. Somebody said, Was you an alcoholic? No, I was a drunkard. Somebody said, What's the difference? The drunkards don't have to go to the meetings. And my father was, I had to prove something. I had to be tough. My older brother was tough. I'm not, when you got an older brother that's as tough as my brother, you have to prove something. And whether they want nothing, I wouldn't do. We burned our school up one time. I was a hero. Everybody got a vacation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was busted the first time by the law when I was nine years old for burglary and 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 we'd do anything because there was a loneliness and we wanted to be accepted. Nobody came to our neighborhood with a bus saying, Would you kids like to go to Sunday school? They didn't want us poor kids in their Sunday school. Come on. They hung two boys. They helped two young men in Kansas in 1965 that I played in the same streets with and grew up with. And, and these two young men was in the same jails and the prisons I was in. And their name was Richard Eugene Hitchcock and Perry Edward Smith. They killed the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas. And Truman Capote wrote a book about them in cold blood. And as they was taking Perry Smith, a boy that grew up in the same circumstances and the same jails I did, as they was putting the noose around his neck, he said, I'd love to repent, but I don't know who to repent to. He said, you're going to kill me in just a few minutes and I'll be in hell before you guards get back to your coffee cups. But he said, I don't know who to repent to. Nobody's ever told me about Jesus. Nobody's ever told me about God. Nobody's ever acted like they cared about me. I, don't, I can't say that because a preacher walked right down into the filth and the muck and the mire where I was at and witnessed to me and came to the prison farm. He cared about me. Yeah. Life had planted seeds of self-destruction in me. Our family didn't care where we went. So we just hung out on the street. I started a gang. I thought, well, if we're going to have to be out here on the street, we might as well have some protection. I started a gang, and, we, and the name of my gang was the Little Kings. We was always fighting this other gang up the other side of town called the Zombies. I had a big old 45 Army automatic pistol. Never had any bullets, but I didn't need any. I'd pull that thing up, cock it back that all <laughs> split. Take potatoes and fill them full of double-edged razor blades to throw We'd roam the streets in the daytime. Nobody was home. We'd, we'd break in the house, go in, turn the television on,
1: watch As the World Spins or something. As the stomach Take anything we could pot And we like to feel it in the game. That's the reason the games are, are,
0: are having a revival because the parents could peer less what the kids do. Come on. And that's why the church is tailor-made for this generation. Because we care. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what color you are. We don't care your social status, your economic strata. We love you because God loves you. And we want to love God through. We want God to love you through us. Sin begets sin. You don't just sin and sin one time. You write a hot check, you write a hot check to cover up that hot check. When I said Kansas City I had so many checks bounced, so they thought I owned the ball team there. We'd get these girls who thought they were so foxy. You don't like to show their little sweet self. We got some of them praying around the church. I like to wear them slits and all that stuff in a dress and that. Spot them. I could spot them in a New York minute. And you know what we'd do? We'd take those babes and lock them up and shoot them up with heroin about three times a day for about two weeks. And we'd put them out on the street and make us raise make them raise money for us. See, sin begets sin. Sin begets sin. You don't just sin and say, I believe I'm gonna sit here. But then because we was in because we was in alcohol, Boots Farm, Strawberry Hill, Mad Dog 2020, Ripple. Used to drink Aquavelva with shaving lotion. We had sweet breath. Not only got drunk, you had sweet breath. And because we was in alcohol, the first time somebody came along and had some drugs, we were ready to try that because alcohol wasn't giving us the high we wanted anymore. I never did smoke much pot because we thought that was for old women and sissies. I used to like take something we could cut down and, and draw it up in a needle and shoot yarn. See, everybody shows you, t- everybody says how good drugs feel. You open a, a magazine, you see an advertisement, and you see young people, they all look like lead majors and in Fairfax. Come on. You don't see any old, fat, wore out people like us. It's all young, good looking people. I think they ought to make them show the other side of the picture alcohol and drugs has got a hold of your life and you'll do anything for a fix young people turn the television on it's got some gal twisting around in Calvin Klein jeans. I think that they need to make them show what happens when that girl gives herself and she gets AIDS and, and transfers it to her little baby and everything we need to show the other side of the picture I got news for you honey sin ain't pretty sin ain't pretty Come on, the devil wants to take you young people and tear your life apart. Sin is not pretty. Once you take drugs, man, I'm telling you what, when you, the first time I shot up, I I got sick and then I felt, I felt a rush. And I like the way drugs make me feel. I don't get up in places and tell kids drugs don't make you feel good. They make you feel good. They smoke a joint. Feel like you're about seven foot tall. They can tell you that this Bob Washington. You'd laugh about it. And then you come down. And you get the munchies. Eat anything that don't eat you first. Take speed, run around. Your eyes great big chewing gum. Wash my Harley-Davidson forty-seven times a night. Hallelujah. Mow the yard. Paint the house. got so messed up on speed. One day I walked into the police station and lied to the detectives after giving them a lecture on crime prevention. One of them was a friend of mine. He said, you want to live? And I said, that'd be nice. He said, you better get your hide out of here or we're going to shoot you. Hallelujah. See, you're not thinking rational we got on acid, we watched the street light change for six hours. Red, yellow, green. We thought it was the coolest thing we'd ever seen. Red, yellow, green. Man, look at that. And back in the 60s, everything was far out, man, far out. Didn't matter what was going down, just far out. Or wow. I was so cool, I could say wow backwards. drugs has got a hold of you. And the veins in, all your, in your arms have all collapsed. Come on, then you get busted. You've got to go to jail and, and and you can't find a vein to shoot up in your arms. And you shoot in your feet and your legs or under your tongue somewhere. You sit there and you try to hit a vein and you shoot up for, for 45 minutes trying to make a vein and then you hit one and that blood comes up in the rig. And we used to do what we call boot it. We'd mix it and shoot it real fast. And the faster you shot it, the more of a rush you got. I shot up one time and my heart quit and my, my brother took me and threw me across the bed on my back and, and took his hands and began to beat my chest and, and my heart started beating again. We had this girlfriend that lived upstairs, my brother and I was both going with her and uh, don't want to get real deeply into this, my wife said, over oh, there, with a killer look on her face, <laughs> hallelujah. This gal was a real fox. So we called her Hammer. And, uh, <laughs> and she had another boyfriend that lived across town. And he was shooting some dope that died on it. He died on it. It killed him. I mean, turned his toes up, man. <laughs> Doing the dirt sleep, you know. So, I asked her one day, she lived up in the apartment above us there, and I said, hey, Hammer. I said, you got any dope? She said, oh, I got some good stuff, baby. and I began to scream when I was blind. While I was laying there, I was so strung out on drugs that I was taking that needle jabbing it in my arm. And my brother and my cousin, I couldn't move, or I couldn't talk, or I couldn't. I just laid there and I, and I was barely breathing. You couldn't even tell I was breathing. And I heard my brother and my cousin talking, and my brother turned to my cousin and said, He's dead, Tommy, let's get his shoes. What well, money's got to get out of here?
1: See,
0: so you don't have any friends. You don't have any friends. They'll turn you into a New York minute for a dime bag of anything. You don't have any friends out there. They want to use you, and then when they get through using you, they'll drop you like a bad habit. Come on. I'm going to tell you the real friends you have. When you get in church and you've got brothers and sisters, that will stand there with you when everything is gone around you, and they'll hold your hands up. That's why I like that song Brother Hector sang, Stand By Me. Lean on me. Whatever. Hallelujah. I wanted to change. I couldn't change. Come on, I couldn't change. Every time I'd get busted, I'd go before the judge and run a scam downtown. I wanted to change. But you don't just turn around one day, quit drugs, quit alcohol, quit cigarettes, leave your buddies. I wanted to change. But there was powers that had me bound and had me under their control. Listen, Satan studies you. State, Satan knows just what buttons to push in your life to get you to do what he wants you to do. He's a master psychologist. I'm gonna take For Every one of you, every one of you young men in this church, Satan's got a girl that'll lure you out of here. Come on, we got some of the most beautiful, dedicated girls in the world, and our guys looking out there. Come on. I'm going to tell you what, they'll lead you into a life of hell. And for everyone, and, and you girls, for every one of you, there's an old boy out there that's got, that's got more teeth than an alligator. Slick, hallelujah. See, the devil knows what to trip you up with. And once you get into drugs, you'll do anything to get the money to get drugs. We actually stole the television out of our parents' house and sold it for enough money for drugs. Wisden, my favorite, didn't even know it, wasn't it? Which Big old, bushy beard, my hair stuck straight out, looked like I would kissed a light socket. A black patch over my eye. And I was the clean cut one of the duo. And we're walking down the street and the cop pulls up and says, halt. I just keeps walking. I didn't want to talk to any cops that day. He said, halt. He pulls over in front of me. He said, where are you going? I said, man, we're just out
1: walking.
0: He said, what are you doing with the wagon? I said, we're pulling that sucker with us, man. He said, what's under that quilt? He said, tell me where you got the television." And I told him a story. He said, now wait here. And he went over to my buddy. And he told him a different story. He come back to me. And I forgot the first story. And he said, let me call downtown. I said, they want you guys downtown. He said, what's your name? I said,
1: Bob.
0: He said, I'll check you out behind him. And uh, he called downtown. The best service and Said, whatever you do. He said, if you don't have enough on to send him to the penitentiary for at least uh, 10 years, don't bring him to this police station. Last time I was in there, I howled like a wolf. I put the pillowcase in the commode and flooded the jail. And I bought up pieces of toilet paper, threw it at the guards when they went by. Listen, you're in bad shape when they kick you out of the jail. I'm not talking about a little one-horse town. I'm talking about a town about five times the size of Beaumont. So you don't think. You're crazy. You're irrational. I was walking down the street one day, and my friend told me, said, so, this cop's looking for you. I said, you tell that cop I'm looking for him.
1: <laughs>
0: about that time, there comes a the good officer. And he said, have you got any identification? And I said, no, I've worked with a draft card. As part of the generation wanted peace, the man was willing. I slept with a bar of soap and razor blades in it to keep those guys away from me. It ain't funny in there. Some of you boys think, boy, if I go to jail, everybody would think I was cool when I got out. Uh-huh. You may talk like a man when you got out, but you will be a mock <laughs> It ain't funny. And I started, he said, wait a minute, man. No, he said, he said, aren't you Charles? Baby? I said, "Yeah." No. He said, I can get you. He said, can you buy me any dope? And I said, I can buy you anything. you want to to you He said, I've got money. We didn't say my Said so I couldn't wear it. to talk about God and I'd feel conviction on my soul and God would deal with me while I was on drugs. Come on. Come on. God will walk through anything to get one of His children. I'm going to tell you why that we was out there in the tombs worshiping the devil is because the church didn't have any power and the church didn't have any fire and we was hungry for the supernatural. Do that. One reason I quit giving my testimony got some big the time it come back to me. I didn't recognize it. But we was, I have been in Satan worship services where I have seen more enthusiasm for people worshiping a lying devil than I have some Pentecostal people worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I know people in the Middle Eastern religion and Satanism that get up four hours before daylight and chant and pray to the devil four hours before daylight. And if I called the 6 o'clock prayer meeting in the morning, you'd be crying and cussing about it for six months. And we wonder why they're beating us. We need to rise up. Our pastor told you the devil don't have anything that can come close to what we've got. into a place called the jungle and built a small cabin out in the jungle and, and built bonfires at night and dance around that fire and worship the enemy. You wanna talk about something weird being a service where you're worshiping the devil and you feel his presence come and you can see the grass being pushed down the large footprints, but there's nobody there. Your scripture where it says, resist him and he'll throw it in gear and flee from you. And I want you to know, I know this and I cannot tell you how I know, but I want you to know this, that Beaumont, Texas is a crossroads and a hotbed for Satanism and witchcraft and that business just like that. You afraid? No, no. Jesus Christ broke His power on an old rugged cross, and greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. I'm not afraid of every bald-headed, black-toothed, knee, yellow-bellied, bow-legged, skimpy, back devil.